welcome to semester three, episode 11 of our Just Admit It podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. I'm Carolyn, a former admissions officer at Vanderbilt University, and joining me today is my friend and colleague, Tasha, who's a former admissions officer at USC and assistant director of admissions at Boston University. Today, we're going to discuss deferrals. So we're going to cover what a deferral means, why it happens, and what steps deferred students should take next. Um, So I'm really excited to dive into this topic today. I know that early application admissions decisions are coming out, um, are about to come out or are coming out, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, And some students are going to be getting yeses from colleges, which is exciting. Some students will be getting no's, which is, of course, disappointing, but it happens to everyone. Um, And then some students will be getting a decision that says you have been deferred. Um, And you might have some questions as to what exactly that means and what your next steps should be. Um, So what we're going to do today is go through some common questions that we receive from students and families about the deferral process. Um, And hopefully this will help you to navigate uh, responding to that decision if it is one that you receive. Um, So I'm going to hand it over to Tasha to answer our first question, which is what is a deferral? Thank you, Carolyn, and hello. I'm very excited to be here today to tackle this topic. Uh, As Carolyn said, uh, I'm here as an Ivy Wise counselor and former admissions counselor and have definitely, um, you know, had to tackle this topic before. So so let's get into it. Question number uh, number one is what is a deferral? So I like to say that it's it's like a maybe. Um, so it's not a straight up denial, but it's also not an outward admission either. Uh, so a deferral will come uh, as an admission response if you apply early in the early process. Um, it is a possible response. So typically you'll hear back uh, when you hear back about early applications in in mid-December, so coming up right around this time. And, um, you know, it's something that universities do for a variety of reasons, and we will get into that a little bit later in our conversation. Uh, But uh, basically, they're telling you maybe because uh, they aren't able to offer you a spot right away, but they don't want to lose you as a potential candidate in the future. Uh, So they want to let you know basically, yes, we're interested, Uh, you know, you're a strong student, maybe they think you're a good fit, uh, but they don't feel fully, you know, 100% confident for whatever reason, uh, enough to offer you admission early in December. Uh, So it's a little bit tricky. I understand it can be kind of complicated and confusing to understand why um, this is a possible admissions decision. Uh, And like I said, we will get a little bit further into that. Can also have to do with the strength of the applicant pool for a particular year uh, being, you know, higher. And so uh, the college might think that you're a really strong student, but you're in a pool of other extremely strong students typically, and even more so um, year after year. So depending on all of these factors, uh, including things like institutional priorities, which basically means, um, you know, things that the university is looking to prioritize, um, you know, it can come to what it is that you're studying, you know, maybe they got way too many 
engineering applicants uh, and they think that you're really, really strong as an engineering applicant, but they need to see who else comes through the applicant pool and regular decision so that they're not admitting everyone in early decision. So that's just a random example of, of what an institutional priority um, factor might look like in terms of when colleges decide who and when to admit uh, either through the early or the regular process. And then finally, logistically, so what happens? So you get that maybe decision in mid-December, like I said, uh, and then you have about three to four months in the interim um, before you receive an ultimate decision uh, somewhere between early March and early April uh, about your ultimate admission decision. And so you just get passed on to the regular decision applicant pool, essentially. Uh, so universities get a second chance to review your application in that round. So they've said maybe, uh, and then maybe we will admit in the regular decision, or maybe we will have to say, you know, unfortunately we are not going to able to offer you admission in the regular round. And so, because you almost get the second chance, to, um, you know, you get re-reviewed, uh, there is a lot that, um, you know, we'll discuss about different options or opportunities to uh, improve or highlight things on your application so that when universities do get a chance to, get that second look, uh, they might see something different or better or stronger, uh, especially if you're doing anything additional to strengthen your application in that in-between time. Uh, so with that, I'm going to pass it back over to Carolyn for our next question. Yeah, thanks, Tasha. So one of the other questions that we get, uh, particularly from families that have gone through this process multiple times before, is what is the difference between a deferral and a waitlist? Um, you'll hear, the, hear those terms be tossed around, and they're very similar processes, and they mean very similar things, um, but they happen at different points in the admission cycle. Um, so like Tasha said, if you are deferred, you most likely receive that decision after submitting an early round application. You'll probably get that decision in mid to late December, maybe early January, depending on um, what that school's timeline is. Um, and so then you'll be pushed into the regular decision applicant pool and you will get your final decision whenever regular decision um, decisions are released, uh, usually in March or April. Um, a wait list, on the other hand, is going to happen at the end of the admissions process. So if you've applied a regular decision or if you've been moved into the regular decision pool, they might put you on the wait list, which is a very similar thing. They're saying, we're not ready to admit you right now. We don't have a spot for you right now, but we want to kind of keep you on hold just in case a spot opens up um, for you later. So again, very similar processes and very similar um, follow-up steps actually, but they happen at different points in the process. Um, so as of right now, we'll have a lot of students receiving deferral decisions. We'll have kind of the same conversation about wait lists um, later in the spring. Um, in both cases, it's important to let the college know that you are still interested in being admitted, if that is the case, um, and to update the colleges on anything that you think might be important when they go back and review your application again. Um, and yes, it is possible to get deferred and then waitlisted. We hope that doesn't happen. It's a very long and um, sort of agonizing process for students, um, but it does happen. Uh, but most of what we're dealing with right now at this point in the process uh, are those deferrals that Tasha was just talking about. Um, and with that, I'm going to hand it back over to her to talk about why it is that someone might be deferred. 
Great. Thanks, Carolyn. Yeah. So why have I been deferred is a question you might ask yourself uh, in that scenario. And like I said, there could be many, many reasons. Uh, so let's kind of just go through some of those uh, top reasons and, um, you know, make sure that you understand that it doesn't mean anything uh, decisive about you as a student or your character. You know, it's similar to any kind of uh, decision that isn't an admission, uh, you know, is about so many other things uh, than just you. So that's that's important to understand. It's a very complex process with a lot of different factors. Uh, so let's take a look at those reasons. Uh, first, you know, maybe the university needs to wait and see what their regular decision pool is going to look like before they're able to make a decision on your application. And so I alluded to this a little bit earlier is, um, you know, with the rise of, of early applications kind of becoming more and more popular or more and more um, common. Uh, universities are getting huge early applicant pools, uh, but then, you know, they're still getting their regular and, and also larger regular decision applicant pools. And so they can't admit their entire class through early decision or early action, even if if they're seeing an extremely strong, capable um, applicant pool. A lot of universities would, you know, based on based on uh, high quality of applicant alone, could theoretically admit every their entire class in the early process if they wanted to, but they're certainly not going to uh, because that's not part, wouldn't be fair, not part of the process, not strategic, um, you know, don't want to admit an entire class <laughs> in an early round. And so for that reason, uh, they need to wait and see what the regular decision pool might look like. Um, so if this is the reason that you've been deferred, uh, it may just be that they had a really strong early applicant pool. Uh, they need to make sure that they, that they leave enough spots open for strong students in the regular pool and therefore need to say maybe to a certain amount of students, including potentially you if you are deferred, uh, so that then they can re-review your application with the rest of the regular decision pool. Another possible reason is that they need more information uh, in order to make an informed and confident decision about your candidacy. So uh, sometimes uh, students might, you know, whatever it is on their application or transcript um, leads a college admissions officer to conclude that they need to see or that they would feel more confident if they saw the first semester of senior grades. Uh, so often, you know, when you're applying early, uh, you're applying before you have um, any kind of real progress report of your senior year. Maybe you only have uh, first quarter and that's not very telling potentially. And so it's possible uh, to be deferred because because a college wants to see how ultimately you did in that first semester of your senior year before making a final decision. Um, and this could be for a number of reasons. Um, maybe it's more typical if uh, you were taking a class in your senior year that was really important or fundamental to whatever it is that you're applying for in terms of your area of study. And so it's possible that in that case, a college is going to say, okay, we're very interested. We don't want to say no, but we do need to see that the student gets whatever grade or, or does extremely well in this one particular area or just in general in the first semester of senior year. So that's another option. Next, uh, it's possible to be deferred if your application is missing any kind of important piece. Uh, so if there's a missing piece to the, the 
puzzle, the many piece puzzle of the college application, uh, such as something like a portfolio or a music audition. If, for example, you're applying to arts programs, and of course, uh, those portions are really fundamental to your candidacy to those kinds of programs. Um, it could be if you're missing, um, you know, any any number of things where uh, the admissions team decides you know, they, they, they're not able to fully evaluate your or, or make a final decision on your application without that piece of information, then in this scenario, they're technically, you know, giving you a, another chance uh, to complete your application or further strengthen it so that you can then be re-reviewed uh, in the regular decision process. So another possible reason for being deferred is a little bit trickier. Uh, so I'll try to, to explain as best I can, but we would call it something like a courtesy deferral uh, for development or uh, in terms of the school group that you're coming from. And basically this might mean that, you know, because for whatever reason, if, um, you know, your family is, uh, at the school or has been connected to the school um, and the university wants to keep, you know, positive relations there, but they feel that you're not, um, your application does not match, uh, is not a fit or maybe is not strong for, for their particular applicant pool. Uh, they may not want to fully um give you a, a rejection, but they want to say, you know, we're going to take a look at your application again and give you another chance um, to potentially strengthen it for the regular decision application round. So that's one option. Another kind of courtesy deferral um, might come because of your school. So let's say you go to a very um, high achieving, strong high school, uh, or even, you know, even if you don't, um, if there are enough students applying from your school to the same university, um, often, you know, college admissions counselors are going to look at those applications uh, together to make sure that they're making um, decisions that make sense contextually. Since you're in the same school, you're being offered all of the same classes, uh, your level of rigor is going to be evaluated within that same context. And so sometimes um, because of institutional priorities, uh, schools have to make decisions that may not make that much sense if looked at in a group, um, but are due to other factors like there's an institutional priority to admit more students in um, the humanities, but there might be some really, really strong STEM students, let's say, who are applying. And so the admissions office might decide, you know, it doesn't make sense to reject these students because they're very strong. Um, let's see who we get in the regular decision process and let's defer these students for now. And that way we'll still have a chance to admit them if it turns out that in our regular decision pool, we have space for them, but right now they're not a priority. So um, that's where it can get really tricky because it's not just about your application. Really, it's never just about your application alone. It's about so many of these other things that are going on all at once. Um, and then I think I, I really already talked about institutional priorities there. So again, just um, mostly related to areas of study and, um, you know, how big a school's, a university's programs are, who, how many people they have space for in different kinds of academic areas. And then also, um, you know, ultimately what they're looking to, to maybe grow can sometimes be a factor in, uh, you know, whether or not a school would decide to, to admit right away or to defer. 
Uh, so there's so many other reasons uh, potentially, and you may never be made aware of them. So, so we're telling you about these possible reasons just so you have an idea of, of the scope uh, of, of reasons that you might be deferred, but it's not like you're going to necessarily know or that a university is ever going to tell you, hey, this is the reason that you're being deferred, that that will really never happen um, unless it's something very specific, like a missing piece of your application or something like that. Uh, so really we're just kind of letting you know that these are some of the possible reasons. And uh, this is really just, a, you know, a, a test for um, kind of seeing how you can be comfortable in the unknown um, in this period of time. And I know that that can be tricky, but also uh, something that will uh, help you grow your resilience. Yeah, thanks, Tasha. I just to emphasize that last point, this is one of the hardest things about the admissions process as a whole. Um, if you are deferred, you probably will never know why you got deferred. You'll probably never know why you got denied or waitlisted um, or admitted. Although, of course, people tend to have fewer questions when they're admitted. They just sort of accept it and, and move forward. Um, it's it's really important that students and families are able to just acknowledge like, yep, this is the thing that happened. We may not necessarily know why, um, but but this is the reality and we need to just do um, do the best with it that we can. Um, that's easier said than done. That's a really challenging thing that it's it's completely fine if you're struggling with. But it's it's like Tasha said, a chance for you to become a little bit more resilient um, as as a person when you're faced with obstacles like these. Um, so the next question that we get kind of on the same note is how many students get deferred? And this usually comes in the form of, I was just deferred from Harvard. How many others are there who were deferred? Or I was just deferred from uh, Princeton. What are, what are now my chances of being admitted? What's the percentage of students who got deferred, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and unfortunately, the answer to this question as well is probably we don't know. And you may never know um, the number of students or the percentage of students that are deferred from early rounds to regular decision rounds, um, it's going to be fairly drastically different from college to college. And in a lot of cases, it's going to be fairly drastically different from year to year, just depending on what the early decision applicant pool looks like, um, what they expect from the regular decision applicant pool, like Tasha was saying, what institutional priorities are they facing right now? Or is there a big push for engineering students, a big push from students in in the, you know, the Southwest, you know, what it is that they're looking for that year to really round out their community. Um, and, and chances are colleges aren't going to release really specific information, at least until after the process of how many students they deferred and how many of those students were eventually admitted if they release those at all. Um, and so the, the answer here again is, is we're not really sure. Um, and probably even if you ask the admissions office, they're not going to be able to give you super specific information, especially at this point. Um, about their statistics. Um, some colleges we've seen in the past that defer only a very small number of their students for logistical reasons or, or like Tasha said, are waiting for more information. Um, some schools in previous years have deferred the majority of their early applicants because they just don't know what their regular decision applicant pool is going to look like. Um, and so they're going to admit the few students that they're absolutely sure about um, and then defer everyone else and kind of see what happens. Um, some schools don't defer at all. So like we said at the top of the show, I worked at Vanderbilt University. We had a couple early decision rounds. Um, very rarely, if ever, did we defer students. And it was usually because they 
weren't able to schedule their music audition on time. That was pretty much the only time when we did defer. So schools handle this uh, very differently and the statistics are going to look differently from school to school and from year to year. Um, we did see last year there was a higher than usual just anecdotally, a number of deferrals um, because the level of uncertainty in the process last year was so high. Um, application numbers were much higher than they had been before. Um, test optional policies kind of threw everything into flux and, and colleges just weren't sure what their regular decision applicant pools were going to look like. So they deferred more students than they usually would. Um, again, this is mostly anecdotal, but to, to get an eye, they wanted to be absolutely sure that they're putting together the strongest class possible. Um, and so they kind of pushed that decision process down the timeline a little bit to increase their level of certainty. Um, will that happen again this year? Time will tell. We'll find out in the next couple of weeks. Um, my guess would be probably not quite as much now that they've had a year of test optional and they know what those numbers are going to look like. Um, but as many of you guys know, uh, the uncertainty is still very real in 2021. So um, it's kind of a wait and see uh, how many students uh, will be facing this decision and how large this process is going to be. Uh, but again, just know that you probably won't get a whole lot of specific information from the college uh, about how many other students have been deferred and what what specifically your chances are at that point. Um, just assume that if you're pushed from early into regular decision, your chances of admission are now um, about the same as everyone else who applied to the regular decision applicant pool. Um, at that point, you kind of just have to keep your hat in the ring and see what happens. Definitely. Thanks, Carolyn. Uh, so we're going to move, continue to move along with the with each of our questions, but I did just want to add, um, you know, I can definitely relate to Carolyn's experience and that really goes to show that, uh, you know, universities have very different policies or, um, you know, not every university has the exact same perspective when it comes to deferrals and that that is for many different reasons. But I also, uh, as we said in the top of the show, worked at Boston University and USC and Boston University, uh, did definitely uh, offer deferrals, but it was not a large amount of the applicant pool at all. Um, and it was a university that didn't really encourage um, students to submit additional information unless it was extremely significant academically. And then when I worked at USC, as many of you may know, USC actually doesn't have an early application process. So deferrals were not a part of my my job or anything <laughs> to do with USC admissions at all. So um, as you can see, there, there's definitely like many, many schools that uh, don't prioritize or don't um, typically think of deferrals as a major option for them. Uh, but as Carolyn said, there are many who do and, and it's for, for very um, specific reasons because of like the changing landscape of admissions in general. Okay, so for the next question, when will I receive my decision? So you'll receive your decision typically at uh, the same time, really, that you would be, that any that you would receive the decision if you had applied regular decision. Um, so at the same time as any of your classmates who applied that university regular decision, because a deferral is, like I said earlier, essentially a second chance to be reviewed in the regular decision pool. So we know that that regular decision decision 
decision release date is typically between early March and April 1st, usually mid-March. And uh, students who are deferred are going to receive that decision at the same time as their regular decision classmates. Luckily, you can't get deferred again because it is the last uh, review round. So this is the final um, opportunity. But as Carolyn said, you could theoretically be waitlisted, um, which in some ways is also a maybe kind of answer. Uh, but I would say that's probably not super common. Um, a lot of universities don't um, don't offer a lot of waitlist uh, um, admission decisions. Uh, and so I would say that the probability of being deferred and then waitlisted, though not impossible and certainly uh, a, a possibility is, is not uh, super high. So at this point, uh, you can pretty much expect to receive a final decision of either receiving an admission or receiving a deny response. Uh, but luckily, it's it's the end of the road there, and so um, you know there, it's not like you there are opportunities for just limitless deferral decisions over and over and over. So there is uh, you are going to understand where you stand uh, by that regular decision release period between March and April. Awesome. Thanks, Tasha. So the next question that we often get in one form or another is, um, am I less likely to be admitted now that I have been deferred? Um, so generally speaking, and this is certainly a broad generalization, but early decision and early action applicant pools tend to be smaller. And some, because you're showing that demonstrated interest, admit rates tend to be higher for those early rounds than they are for regular. So we'll get a lot of questions from students. Well, if I wasn't admitted early, then aren't my chances of being admitted through regular lower, um, which um, is a completely valid question. And of course, like I said before, you may ne not necessarily ever know what the real statistics are around those numbers, but it's important to keep in mind that colleges wouldn't necessarily defer you to regular decision if they didn't think you had a chance or if you didn't think that you were going to be competitive in that process. There would be no point of them doing that and adding another applicant review to their pile um, if they didn't think that you had a chance in regular decision. Um, and this comes back to the many different reasons why it could be that you were deferred. Um, so if they felt like you were what you might call like a borderline applicant, well, you're not quite strong enough for early, but we don't know what regular is going to look like, we think you might be competitive, um, then yes, absolutely. You still have a chance of being admitted. Um, if you were deferred because we're looking for more grades or higher test scores, well, then your chances are going to depend a lot more on what those new grades and test scores look like than what the actual statistics for that regular decision pool are. Um, even if you were what we call a, a courtesy deferral, you know, we were deferred because um, we admitted the three students below you in the school group and, and we wanted to make sure that we looked at everything um, in a comprehensive way. Or if your family won the lottery and gave all of the winning to the college, um, you're still in that pool. You still have a chance of being admitted. So it's important to kind of keep both of those things in your mind at the same time. Yes, this part of the process is going to be more competitive than the early round was, but also um, they wouldn't have put me in this pool if they didn't think I at least had a chance of being admitted. Um, so all of those things in mind, there are lots of different ways to calculate your quote unquote chances of being admitted. It has to do with the reason you were deferred. It has to do with the overall selectivity of the regular decision pool. It has a lot more than anything to do with 
the strength of your application. So my advice here is to not sort of agonize, not try to like put a number to those chances. It can make you feel a little bit mentally better to be able to say, oh, I have about a 20% chance. But the reality is you don't know that. Um, we don't know what your chances are um, any more than we know why you were deferred. Um, so just know that on the big picture, you have the same chances of being admitted as anybody else who applied through regular decision. And then you just kind of have to wait and see um, what um, what comes of it, uh, what decision you get at the end of the day. Uh, Tasha, anything you would add to that? No, I think you've pretty much covered it, Carolyn. I think uh, keeping your expectations realistic is definitely something that I would echo, mm -hmm. um, especially because it's just really, you know, hard to know. And, um, you know, universities are juggling so so many different things that you know we've talked about all of these these factors and all these different possible reasons for deferrals and i think that one of the big takeaways from that uh for you all should be that it's not all all about you um and so it shouldn't be taken as a personal um like deficit or or anything really that's speaking to to, to you entirely <laughs> Which kind of brings us to our next question. <laughs> if Carolyn, you're all set. Excellent. So the next question is, how can I get past the disappointment of not getting admitted to my early admission school? And so definitely already started segueing into that with my addition just now. And um, this next, these next couple of minutes might sound a little bit more like a social and emotional counseling session, but I think that that is, um, you know, sometimes part of part of this certainly as admissions counselors, um, because, you know, it is a high stakes uh, process and you know often students have uh, big dreams and high expectations and have put a lot of um, effort toward a particular school and it can be really really disappointing if that doesn't work out so i think my first piece of advice if you are uh, deferred in a place where you thought or hoped to be admitted through an early process is to, to let yourself feel your feelings, right? Um, like it's okay to be upset initially. It's okay to give yourself a little bit of time to wallow, although not too much, uh, because naturally not being admitted to your first choice school is inherently disappointing. And then of course, know that you're not alone. So even if none of your friends have been deferred from their first choice schools, or even if you don't know anyone else, <clears throat> excuse me, who's been deferred from that particular school, know that you're among hundreds or even thousands of students across the country that have been deferred, whether it's to that same place or somewhere else. And so it's a very normal and common situation. It's not something that makes you an outlier in any way. So hopefully, um, there can be some, some comfort in numbers and knowing that you're not the only person who's been deferred. That said, um, also, I think a great thing to think about as you're, after you've let yourself feel your feelings and you're working toward, um, you know, moving on is that just remember there's so many amazing options out there and that you still have the opportunity to move forward with your regular decision applications after you've heard back from a deferral decision. So hopefully that gives you extra motivation to continue working on those regular decision applications and, and just carry on and, and take that, um, you know, momentary 
rejection, although as we know, it's not a rejection, it's a maybe, uh, but take those feelings and channel them toward something productive and hopefully uh, towards some motivation that'll help you finish crafting some really strong regular decision applications. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, even though it's important to feel your feelings of disappointment, uh, it is really important to let go and uh, make sure that you can continue to focus on, um, you know, really only for a couple of weeks, uh, depending on when your regular decision application deadlines are, uh, to continue to focus on those regular decision apps. Uh, and, you know, of course, there's still the possibility that even after working on those regular decision applications, uh, you'll receive admission to this place where you were deferred in the regular process. Um, and so that might feel like a little bit of a bummer that, you know, you still have to submit all of these other applications kind of just in case. Absolutely. Uh, but hopefully, you know, like I said, you can feel um, empowered to to do a better job um, since a deferral is, of course, in, not in any way a sure bet of admission and regular decision. Yeah, I would just add on to that. I know that we're talking directly to students here, but I also imagine that there are a lot of parents listening right now. And so this is a question that we also get a lot from parents and how do I support my students through um, a deferral or a wait list or some other um, uncertain but disappointing situation like this. Um, and I think it's striking that balance, like Tasha said, between um, your feelings are absolutely valid, be disappointed um, and, and really kind of sit and experience that, but also at the same time, make sure that you are looking at the big picture. And that can be um, a great role for parents to play is to make sure that they are um, offering that kind of uh, broader perspective. You have all of these other options. Um, your college experience is going to be phenomenal regardless of where you end up. Um, parents can play a really important role there. Um, our next question here is the big one. This is the one that you've been waiting for. I've been deferred. What do I do now? What are the next steps? What are the things that I can do, the actions that I can take in order to maximize my chances of being admitted now that I've been moved into the regular decision applicant pool? Um, so once you have like taken some time to process this information, process any other decisions that you've received from other early application schools you may have applied to, um, first you want to decide how enthusiastic are you still about this school? Is it your first choice? Is it still your first choice after having worked on and submitted other applications? Um, are you still really excited and hoping to gain admission? Have you kind of lost some enthusiasm? Like take a moment to gauge sort of where you are um, in terms of your feelings about these schools. If you've decided over time that actually another school, maybe that you were even admitted to early action is actually your top choice, that might dictate how much effort you actually put into this follow-up process. Um, so take some time to think through that. Um, the next most important thing is to carefully read every piece of information that was sent to you by the college with your deferral decision. Um, a lot of the next steps that you're going to take are going to be dictated by or limited by what the school tells you about what sort of information they consider if they consider any information at all, um, how to submit additional information by when, et cetera. Um, so before you listen to any advice from, from us, from counselors, from anyone else, the first thing that you're gonna listen to is the school and what they're telling you about what they want and what they need. 
That being said, if the school does accept additional information, um, we recommend that students submit what we call a deferral letter to that college um, that will do a couple of things. First, it will um, re-emphasize to the school that you are still interested, that you're excited about the possibility of being admitted. Um, if that school is your first choice school, we recommend you say that in the letter. You are still my top choice. Um, if you are committed personally to attending that college, should you be admitted, say that in the letter. Make sure they know how excited you are about attending their college. Um, the other thing that that letter can do is uh, add any significant updates that may have occurred since you submitted that first application. Um, so for example, if you have significantly increased grades, if you took a standardized test again and got a better score, if you submitted without test scores, but now you have phenomenal test scores, um, anything that you think would make an impact on your application, you can include that information um, in the letter or along with the letter. Uh, we'll dive into a little bit in a minute and what exactly what specific information colleges are looking for, but the most important thing is significant and new, things they haven't seen before and things that will actually make an impact on your chances of admission. Um, and just to emphasize, read what the school sends you first. Some colleges don't look at additional information. A lot of them will want you to submit it in a very specific way by a very specific deadline. So you want to make sure that you're paying close attention to that. Um, and just to kind of throw in a quick plug here, if you need help with this process, um, certainly reach out to your school counselor. IVWISE offers deferral consultations. If you um, are already an IVWISE student, talk to your IVWISE counselor, reach out to the admissions office if you have questions about what your next steps are. Um, don't try to muddle through this on your own, seek out help from the, the experts and the guidance that is available to you to make sure that you're going through this process as effectively as possible and following all of the requirements. Once all of that is done, um, you want to turn your attention back to any remaining regular decision applications that you have to finish. Um, a lot of students may be kind of waiting to submit to their last round of applications until they hear back from early, which we don't necessarily recommend. But if you have done that, um, if at this point you still have some RD applications to finish, now is the time to go back to those applications, make sure they are as strong as possible and make sure they are submitted by the deadline so that you have all of your options available to you. Um, at the end of this process. All right. And so we have another question that I think we have answered in, in a variety of ways through some of our own other questions, but I'll just um, bring it up again and just kind of review a couple of things. And that question is, how do colleges deal with deferrals differently? So as we've said, some colleges don't defer at all. So of course, USC did not offer early um, admission rounds, so they don't defer, but other places that do offer early admissions do not offer deferral options. So that's one main difference. Um, other universities defer a much larger pool of their early application pool than others, uh, which means that your chances of being admitted after a deferral will be different. Of course, if a college defers a ton of students, they're not going to be able to ultimately admit that many of them, whereas if they only defer a handful, uh, maybe they have a little bit more wiggle room. Again, it's going to depend on what their regular decision pool looks like. And finally, some schools will accept and review updated information, but others won't, as Carolyn just uh, told us. And so I think that's that should be a really big takeaway as well. And it was certainly true of my time at Boston University is, um, you know, some schools really, really want to make sure that whatever you're submitting is significant uh, and significant 
can mean different things at different places, right? Some schools might really value that you um, are in a new leadership position at a school club or that you won some kind of award in um, an academic honorable or something like that. But most schools, many, many schools are really just going to be interested in tangible, strictly academic improvements or updates. Um, and so just understanding what that school is interested in is going to be elemental and understanding what you should or should not submit. Again, just echoing Carolyn. Awesome, and that's a great transition into our last question, which is um, specifically what kind of information would be helpful to send to a college after I've been deferred. Um, so like Tasha just said, some colleges consider added information pretty heavily. Some don't consider it at all. Most schools are somewhere in between. Um, so it's important to keep in mind that this is kind of a, a covering your bases just in case um, scenario, submitting things because it certainly doesn't hurt to, but just know that um, it's very possible that those these things could make a significant difference. They may make no difference at all, but this is something that we you can do just to cover all your bases, like I said, um, and make sure that you've done everything you can to maximize your chances of admission, particularly if this is your top choice school. Um, so the first thing that we just talked about, this deferral letter, if schools accept letters like these expressing that you are still interested, if it is your top choice school, let them know that it is your top choice school. Um, of course, if you're deferred from early decision to regular decision, you are no longer bound by that early decision um, commitment. But if you are still committed to attending that school, if you are admitted, put that in the letter, make sure they know that. Um, if this college didn't have a, why do you want to go to this school essay? This might be a good place for you to explain why you feel like you are a good fit for the school. Um, if they did have an essay where you already explained that there's no need to add that now, they will have your original application along with this deferral letter when they are re-reviewing. Um, like Tasha said, the most important things that you can add are significant and new academic information. So if you're, like we said, if your grades have significantly increased um, in fall of senior your year or if the rigor of your course is increased and you maintained the same level of grades, um, that can be important information to submit. If you retested or if you took a standardized test for the first time since you submitted that application and you feel like your test scores would increase your chances, submit those scores as well. If there are significant additions to your resume, for example, you won a state championship or a national award or you started an organization at your school, again, new and significant, um, you can include that information in your letter or in an updated resume. Um, if you have an additional recommendation letter, again, new and significant. If this is someone who has a new perspective on you, has information about you and your performance as a student that wasn't included in your original application, that could be something worth submitting as well. Um, anything, essentially anything that was not included in your original application that you think could increase your chances of being admitted um, is worth submitting if the college accepts that type of information. Um, what you don't want to do is submit a letter and new information just for the sake of submitting a letter and new information. If there's nothing in there that's actually going to make an impact on your application, the fact that you've submitted it isn't going to make a difference. Um, so don't feel like you need to add a whole bunch of new information. This is just chance for you to add that um, if you do. Um, so again, 
submit those things if the college accepts them and then take a moment to sort of turn your attention back to those regular decision applications um, that you still have left on your plate, as well as your schoolwork. Um, of course, number one priority is that you're continuing to maintain your grades as learning as much as you can through the remainder of your senior year. Um, and just know that um, the chips will fall where they may. Um, and you'll you'll get your decision at the end of that regular decision process. Um, and and your, like we said, your college experience is going to be absolutely phenomenal. Um, regardless of where you end up. Okay, so Carolyn, thank you so much. As Carolyn just told us, that was our last question that we had set up for today. Uh, so thank you again for tuning in to Just Admit It. You can catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page. And then definitely be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive college admissions process. So don't forget, uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, we're all over Instagram, even TikTok uh, for more college prep resources. And uh, the podcast is going to take a short recess for the winter break. We all have to take breaks. Hopefully you'll be taking a break, uh, but we really look forward to bringing you semester four in the new year. So definitely look out for that. And of course, we wish everyone a safe, healthy, relaxing, and productive break. Thank you so much, everyone.